Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I do think the more we walk toward the pain, the more pain is a teacher for us. But our tendency is, of course, to be completely frightened of the pain, shut down and go turn to food, drink, Netflix or something else in order to not look more directly at it. Hello and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today is another great episode for you because I have another wonderful guest to share with you, and I'm very excited. I am I am joined by Andrea Hips, who I met recently. I think we all things on, divorce, yeah, all things, all divorce, things divorce. So we were in yeah. the all things divorce room, and we were chatting. And you mentioned your book, and were kind enough to send me a copy of it. It's called first of all the title. If if I can just give you some applause right now on the title, <laughs> the best worst time of your life. Four practices to get you through the pain of divorce. If you know, I've heard a lot, I've done this for a long time. I've heard a lot of people try to describe divorce, and I've the best, worst time of your life pretty much does it. Oh, that warms my heart. Thank you. It does it for me too. I mean, it really is such a tragic, beautiful experience if you handle it with some amount of intention around it, right? Right. And and then, and that's where your book takes people. Um, I, I have to tell you, so you were very kind. You sent me a copy of the book. I've read it. Um, and it's another case of going through and I've, it's all underlined and starred and I folded down pages. Um, and that's, you know, I, I, I'll just say that's a lot because I read a lot of divorce books and I've been immersed in the world of divorce. But there were things in your book that were new for me or new ways of looking at things for me, which I, I think is so helpful for people. And I, I can tell you are a student of what you speak. A, a student of pain, to be honest with you. Yes. And thank you for that compliment. It means the world to me that Susan Guthrie, A, read my book and B, got something from it. But yes, I do think the more we walk toward the pain, the more pain is a teacher for us. But our tendency is, of course, to be completely frightened of the pain, shut down and go turn to food, drink, Netflix or something else in order to not look more directly at it. So... Yeah, food, uh, drink, and Netflix. That it could be all three, by the way. Um, the trifecta. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But let me tell people first just a little bit of your background. Um, you are an LBSW. I had to ask you because I didn't know that. I've always known it as LSW, licensed social worker, but they now have you put licensed bachelor of social work um, in there, and you're a certified divorce coach. So you have the double whammy there of helping both parents, I think, and individuals as they're moving through the divorce. You call it the continuum, which is the same thing I call it because it's not, it's, I always tell people, it's not a finite time in your life. You are going to move forward and continue. So it's, it's, I love that word. Um, 
And you also have something that you call a two-address family for children and kids. So we're going to talk about that as well. Um, But I'm very excited to have this conversation today. So thank you so much for joining me. Same. I am over the moon to be here. You know, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I listen to every episode. And as a continual learner in the field, I'm just so grateful that you're such a thought leader for all of us. So thank you so much for letting me participate today. Yeah, well, we're going to have a great conversation. And I know there's going to be a lot in here for people to to learn from. And, and one of the first places that I think people learn is from hearing other people's experience. And I just mentioned to you, um, and I think this is actually a very interesting point for people, as we were talking before we started taping, I mentioned that you shared your own divorce experience in the book. Um, and that's a gift to readers, right? It's, it's, as, you, as I just said, you can learn. But that you also had another insight there. And I would love it if you would share that because I think that that's just as helpful as what you shared about your divorce. So one of the things that I was aware of when I first started walking through my divorce was I had a giant, huge, enormous no sitting in front of me. I did not want this divorce to be happening. I pushed against every single part of it. I bargained in every direction that I could. And what happens when you do that is the life, the world, the universe sort of lovingly laughs at you because it's going to happen anyway. And so in my own situation, the, the biggest part of what had to turn around for me was being able to say yes to a life unexpected. And if there's one thing that I work on most intensely with my clients is learning how to say yes to the biggest no of your life. And that no exists even if you're on the receiving end of divorce you didn't want, or if you're initiating a divorce that you never thought you'd be at the point of having to do. How you start to work with instead of against the pain is really what breaks open the next part of your life for you, in my own opinion. First of all, those are such great quotes that I, I, I'll definitely be highlighting those. Um, but, but it's so true. It's that, you know, we, we are hit with this enormous pain and you're, I think you're a hundred percent correct, whether you're the person asking or deciding that it's time to divorce or the person who's sort of being taken along in the process unwillingly, the pain is, is the commonality there. And both sides of this, paradigm are in pain. It may be a little different, but when you fight that pain, I think you're, you're right. You almost just prolong the pain as opposed to moving forward toward healing, toward moving through the process, toward, um, you know, the next chapter, so to speak. Um, and, and the book sort of walks you through a lot of this. In fact, you, you, uh, the subtitle is Four Practices to Get You Through the Pain of Divorce. Um, so let's, let's go back first to your divorce because, mm-hmm. again, you shared some of that. And, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. You got married very young. I think you were 22. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. And were married about 11 or 12 years, had two children. About 13. Yep. 13. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you, your husband came out with something that you called the proclamation of disconnection. Um, and there was something about that phrase that really just sang out to me. So if you could explain that to the listeners. 
Yes. So we were were married and sort of functioning in what I thought was a typical family scenario, right? We were, uh, we had a home, we had a couple kids, he had a job, I chose to stay home and raise the kids. And yet on one night, there was a discussion where he revealed that some part of him had disconnected from me, and he wasn't sure if he could get it back. And this was so devastating to me. First of all, what is it? Not sure if I can get it back. I don't even know what it is. I I need more information on the it. Um, are, what are we doing to get it back? There was no guidance. And what did we do to get here? I felt completely shocked. Now, what I had to do with that next was start to unpack the ways that I had gotten myself into a relationship where someone actually had to say to me, I have disconnected you, disconnected from you in a way, and I'm not sure I can get it back. The immediate response I had is, you have a problem and you need to fix it because you have a disconnection and I don't have one. But what I learned over the years of unpacking that and really focusing in on and uncovering the lessons pain had for me was, what did I do to get myself there and to bring him to that point as well? Which is really the work that a lot of us don't want to do, right? It's easier to make the problem what someone else did or didn't do. And that's the end of the story. But the people I see who are moving in the most healthy way into act two of their lives are the ones who can own the part that they played in their own divorce. And that's really what this story is that I tell in here is not only my part, but what my part now allows me to live into, which is a tremendous amount of freedom and grace in the most important relationships in my life, which are with myself, with my kids, with my former partner, and with my current partner. It, it, there, everything about what you just said for me is like mic drop, mic drop, mic drop. They're, they're so, <laughs> so kind. <laughs> they, well, no, because it's so incredibly true. And I can say as a divorce professional that the vast majority of people that I meet, you know, be doing what I do, I meet people all the time who are divorced and I, they, they always want to tell you their divorce story. Um, and more often than not, it is, here's what my ex did. This is what they then did. And it's always a story about the other person. And it's never a story of, yeah, I wasn't, you know, that great in the relationship either, or I didn't necessarily understand or or grow as a person myself in that relationship. There's never that comment. And maybe it's that people don't want to do that inward look, but you're a, what you just said, I think, is really significant for people to hear. You just said the people that you see thriving into their next chapter are the ones who do that work. And you, I, I think you're 100% correct with that. It is never going to be that you're going to heal, grow, and move forward and find what works for you and what makes you happy if it's always going to be that you're the victim of somebody else's whatever. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the impulses, at least early on in your divorce process, as to why you will not own your part. And and look, I'm very sympathetic to people who don't want to own their part. I was a big, please don't make me own my part person for a long time. But one of the reasons we do that is because we get in that sort of primal fight or flight feeling early on in our divorce proceeding where we're very worried that we're going to lose everything. And everything includes our minds, our kids, our home, our money, and our tribe. 
And so when you can tell a story that puts you at the center of being victimized, of being taken advantage of, of being cheated on, of being robbed in some way, your expectation then is that your tribe will come in and comfort you and ally with you and pick you on their team when it comes to picking, you know, a husband or wife or wife and wife or husband, husband, and then divorce. And so it's primal to want to do that. So if you're starting there, I, I have complete and total grace for you. Just don't end up there, right? It's not a long-term strategy that's going to serve you. In fact, it's going to undermine everything you want to do to start creating a more beautiful two-address family later on. Yes. And the two-address family, as I mentioned, is definitely something I want to touch on. But but first, you know, just thinking about being in that place, because I agree with you, absolutely. You know, you're hit with this major seismic shift in your world. And I've always said that it's really this, this sudden moment of looking forward into a future that no longer has any shape or form to it, right? You had, it may not have been the future of your dreams in some cases if the relationship wasn't going well, but you knew what it was going to look like. You knew what, how it would unfold. And suddenly now that's all gone. And there's a great deal of fear in that as well. Um, and, you, and you talk about fear. I, I always say that is probably the predominant emotion people feel in the beginning and often throughout the process. But how, well, how for you did you start to move through that, that looking? Because I know that you did. You talked about it very clearly in the book. Looking at this as, well, you're, what's wrong with my husband? He's the one who just said he's disconnected. Like he said, well, you've disconnected. I haven't. So clearly this is something you need to fix. How did you shift that to looking inward to yourself? Well, it was, it was interesting because once I realized, you know, the proclamation of disconnection led to s- several years, really, of, of disconnection. And so there wasn't a real roadmap during, those, during that time. But one of the things that I realized as we got closer to the reality of divorce was I looked around at my community and I didn't see anybody who was living a post-divorce life that I wanted to, to sort of mirror myself after. Everybody looked beat up bitter, resentful. They'll say, well, I never say anything bad about my former partner. Meanwhile, they do. <laughs> you know, there's just, there's just sort of this simmering right under the surface of the entire family system. And I thought, I don't want anything to do with that. And so it was interesting. I met with a woman who said to me, what would it be like if you were to want deep peace and freedom for your former partner, no matter what it means for you? And my reaction to that was, no, <laughs> I want deep pain and suffering for him for as long as possible. But there was something in me that knew she was onto something and I wanted that. And the thing that she told me to do, and this will absolutely blow your listeners' minds, was that I was to, while I was being disconnected from the pulling away, the I'm not wanting to be in this marriage anymore, she said to me, do three gratitudes a day for him, in bed, no repeats, don't get out of bed until you've done them. And I just had the most pathetic experience of doing that in the beginning. I mean, I really was. And I tell people like my, my first gratitude is like, I'm really grateful he's not here. And I'm really <laughs> grateful he's not coming back for several hours. You know, I mean, it was just, it was base. And, and she said, don't put, don't put stuff on it just to get a gratitude. Work and wait for the real ones. And doing that over time, Susan, 
absolutely changed my heart toward my former partner. And it did a couple of things in addition to that. One was I started to see the things that I failed to appreciate when he was closer to me and less disconnected. So that was on me. The second thing was, is it started to create, and if there's anything anybody gets out of this episode, get this, it started to create an assets-based approach to our future life. And that's really what the the profession of social work is about, is strengths-focused, strengths-based perspectives. And when I could see what he did do right, what he absolutely was awesome at, what I knew I could count on him for in a positive sense, that's all I work with now. Nothing else changed. Everything he never could do and won't do and gets wrong and fails at, still there. But my spotlight is on what works, and that is all that it can ever be on in order for us to go the long haul of several decades more of a relationship, right? Because our post-divorce relationship is going to be way longer than our marriage was. Oh, I mean, forever, right? You have daughters together. And that is, you know, such a twist on a gratitude practice that I agree with you. If people, if you get nothing else from what we, what you've just heard or this entire episode, I think that this is truly significant because I personally have seen the power of just gratitude, right? Just taking at the end of my day, and sitting down and thinking of five things in that day that I'm grateful for. And I thought, I'll be honest with you, I really thought this was, you know, this was going to be a little bit of a silly thing, but I wanted to try it. And I can't tell you how quickly my life shifted because I started to see the world as opportunities for gratitude. And this takes that that step further to, to really open your eyes to what you can be grateful for in your former partner and not be focused on changing the things that don't work for you, which is where so many people end up, right? Yes, and that's the most powerless place you can ever sit is staring at this person and wishing they would change because be honest, they're not going to change. And if they do change, it is not going to be because of something you said. So that part as it slowly dies, but, but when we're looking at gratitude for our former partner, it is not because our former partner deserves it. Don't ever look for them to deserve that. But what that does is it softens us again, not only to focus on the assets, but it also helps us to be able to create the very foundation of having a two-address family, which has nothing to do with you and everything to do with your children. Because those people who say, I just don't say anything bad about my former partner to my kids, your kids know you don't like the other person. You're not fooling anybody. So so don't make that, that's your basement. Most people think that's their ceiling. Like, look at what I've got. Like, no, that's your basement. That's great. Don't say anything bad about them. But how can you start to introduce genuine yeses about your child's other parent so that they're hearing them, frankly, so that you're hearing them and that one day in the future, you will absolutely shock yourself and you will say it to your former partner as well. And that's when the good part really starts because you're able to give that gift knowing it takes nothing from you. I love everything that you're saying. I'm just going to get so excited about this because this is so... Uh, it, it's just such a wonderful thing to hear because I also hear that, you know, one of the things as mediators is we have this little, here's an inside trick, people that I'm going to let 
fly for you all. So you know this, mediators, we do this. One of the things we'll often open a mediation with is a discussion around what parents want for their children at at a high level, right? We'll start at the, you know, what is it that the two of you as parents are hoping to achieve through the mediation process for your children? And the reason we do that is because almost 100% of the time, they're both going to say, we really want this to not have a negative effect on our children. We want to support our children lovingly and giving them a caring home, two homes, et cetera. And it's the first thing that they will have heard each other agreeing on in probably quite some time. So there's a reason why we will often start with that conversation. And you have just sort of up-leveled that conversation as well, right? You've, you've taken that to the next level of, yes, don't say anything bad about your for, former spouse or for, about your children's other parent, um, but to twist that around so that not only is it not saying anything bad, because you're 100% right, just because you don't say it, Pretty sure this says it. Uh, and for those oh, who aren't watching, I'm, I'm showing my face. <laughs> if, <laughs> your kids know. Um, but when you are truly feeling those moments of gratitude for your children's other parents' strengths, then your children know that. They know it. They feel it. And, and it does provide, I love that you said it, it provides the basis for the two um, home family. So let's dive in there a little bit because I'd like to, you know, you've, you've, you've come up with that phrase. I think it's somewhat self-explanatory, but it means a lot more than just the name. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, divorce coach and author, Andrea Hips and learn how to say yes to the biggest no in your life. We get to the point where we actually can bring in the other parent and start to tell a story. And the the most important part of the two address family is to be the chief narrator of your family. You tell the story. And that means that we eliminate the idea of a villain and you start to speak truth and steward that truth on behalf of your kids. If you are enjoying this episode, check out the special two-part episode with attorney and mediator Kimberly Cook, sharing her critical do's and don'ts to successfully mediate your divorce. I think my experience as a litigator makes me a better mediator because I can do um, a lot of kind of the reality testing and, you know, from the perspective of you know, hey, I've heard this in court. Let's work through this. Let's think this through. You know, how does that logistically work? And so um, having that experience, I think, has really helped um, propel me and prepare me to really move into full-time mediation practice. And now we return to today's show. Yeah. And, and I, when, what I mean by the two address family is your child now has two addresses as a parent, your instinct in the beginning of divorce and divorce recovery is to make your address the awesome one. This is the place where we have the best bedding and cool toys and 
I'm available and we've got a great relationship and they tell me everything and, uh, 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 and, oh, you can go over here. Okay. You visited the other parent. Okay. Now you're back in your real home. And that doesn't help our children straddle the life that we've now laid out for them very well. It's very confusing and very difficult. And so when I say a two address home, I don't say two homes. It is a two address singular home. The home that your children have has two addresses. So how do we go about making that feel like one home? It is not by going to your former partner and trying to get a really awesome co-parenting agreement where we all agree how many Cheetos we can have a day and how much TV we have to watch. That stuff never works out. Don't even try. What it means is I inhabit my home knowing that this invisible person who's at the other address is here. Meaning they're not standing here, but when I hear you say, you got an A on that test that was really hard. My response as your mother is, dad is going to love hearing that. When I hear you saying, I can't get my jump jump shot in basketball, I'm going to say to you, your dad is awesome at basketball. I can't wait till you see him again and you can work on it with him. We're always circulating the other parent back into the home and the address that we happen to inhabit at that time, rather than icing that person out because we don't want to talk about them. The sound of their name bothers us. What they do and don't do upsets us. We, through that gratitude practice, start to be able to champion the other parent. I've even had clients who have been shocked and covered their mouths. I actually defended him the other day, right? We get to the point where we actually can bring in the other parent and start to tell a story. And the the most important part of the two-address family is to be the chief narrator of your family. You tell the story. And that means that we eliminate the idea of a villain and you start to speak truth and steward that truth on behalf of your kids. That means you incorporate the parts of the other parent that are difficult and you tell a story about them. Not a lie, not a fabrication, but a story. Well, of course, dad was on the phone and preoccupied. He works really hard so that we can afford soccer payments, right? We, we don't throw, the other option is, yeah, of course he's on the phone. He doesn't pay attention. We all know about that, know that about dad, right? No, we tell a story that acknowledges the limits of the other parent and elevates what they can do. Again, totally strengths focused. I could go on forever. Uh, but it, but it's wonderful. I mean, if you, it, 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 and you make it sound so simple. So I, I, I appreciate that. I know it's not as easy or as simple as what you're saying, but you've tied it back to the gratitude practice, Right to being able to go back to those aspects of your former spouse that are their positives, that are their strengths. And, you know, it, it, it's such a significantly different way of looking at it, as you said, for, for most families. And I see this, you know, that, that competition between the two homes that are the, between the two parents to be the, preferred parents. You know, we see that so often um, that it, 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 you know, and and I apologize because I misspoke earlier when I said it was the two home family and it's the two address home, um, you know, which which is, but it's a significant difference. So I apologize for making the mistake because really what you're, you're talking about is sort of creating that sense of family still for your children, even though it's, now taking place in two different locations in, in sort of a same way. And, you know, another thing that families do or parents tend to do is to eradicate the history of the family and not talk about 
when there there was an intact family and it takes that history away from the children. So it reminded me so much of what you were just saying about, well, we know, you know, dad's working really hard because he, you know, works really hard to make enough money so we can all live this wonderful life or, you know, he can pay for soccer or whatever. You, But it's also, um, you know, yes, I remember even when, you know, your dad and I were living together and you could tell a little funny story mm-hmm. about something mm-hmm. that gives them that sense of history, um, that gives them that feeling of this, this is a family. Right. And I think it, in order to do that well, you have to go right through the heart of the pain in order to get into the other side that can do that naturally. Because I like I, I watch people sort of try to discipline and will themselves into a great family. And that isn't what happens. In fact, when I when I gave my book to my first husband to read before I, I sent it to the publisher, he came back and said to me, I had no idea you were going through all this. Because we have a very beautiful two-address family, and the truth is we never worked on it together. And that's the myth that I want to sort of reveal, that if you're pursuing your former partner as the only way through to a better two-address family life, you will end up very disappointed. The only way to this space is back into yourself, owning your part, saying yes to a life you didn't expect, choosing gratitude, really quite radical ways of approaching a post-divorce life. And that's the kind of people I attracted myself is people who are ready to flip it on its head and make it something that my kids live in a two address family. Do they want us to be married a hundred percent? We're not trying to sugarcoat this, but given the situation being what it is, they're doing pretty good. You know why they're doing pretty good? Because we're done with all of that. It's not about him anymore. It's about me and how I can show up and be the absolute best, most beautiful parent ever and offer support, genuine support to my former partner as he tries to do the same. This is, you know, there's so much empowerment in what you just said for people that, you know, I'm going to say, yes, the gratitude was really important if it's the only thing you get, but here's the next thing that's really important that you get out of this episode because so many people feel powerless when they are unable to communicate or work with their co-parent or, I mean, I hear more yeah buts when I say, Mm -hmm. you know, take the high road or, or, you know, work through, don't, you know, you're not going to change your co-parent. Yeah, but, yeah, but. And you just said you created your beautiful two-address homed family yourself, working internally. It didn't require working with your co-parent. It, it is actually right. something that starts within. That's power. You ha- It's like yes. Dorothy and her slippers, your ruby slippers. You always have the power. Yes. And, and to get out of the, the victim reactor space and into the creator space, I just don't think people have an imagination for the fact that they can do this without getting the perfect former partner. And that's where people let themselves out the hook. Well, he or she couldn't do this or that, or he or she keeps doing this. And so we're never going to get anywhere. Well, that to me is the, the foundation of what I work on with people is learning your former partner's operating system. They've given you years of data about how they're going to be. Then it's not changing. So because we know that, we can stop wasting our energy expecting a different response, wishing they'd show up on time, expecting them to pay the right amount, whatever it is. Like, we're done with that. 
Now we're going to learn how do I live and respond in a way where I'm not as rocked every time they do what I know they're always going to do. That to me is the, is the sweet spot of figuring out how to live well post-divorce is I see you and I acknowledge you, but I do not let you rock my bow as much as I used to. It, it's perfect. It's the, it is the formula to managing the, the situation. It, it, I always say you're not going to change someone. You're not going to control someone. You're, no matter how hard you try, no matter how long you, know, you send them 15-page emails pointing out to them all of the research you've done on good parenting practices, that's nope. not going to turn them into that person that you want them to be. But learning how to manage your own response to, I love that you say, you know them, right? You've done, you've got your, your master's degree in this other person. You, you know them um, and you aren't going to change them. But learning how to change your reactions or, or respond differently to what you know is coming, there, there is true power in that. Yeah, and I and I think it is if you can master this person in this situation, there's no there's no door you can't open, right? This is a you're getting a graduate degree in human interaction when you do this. But it's really in service of freedom for your own self. I don't spend any of my time thinking about what I wish my former partner would be. Partly because that's rude. He gets to decide who he wants to be. That's his side of the street. That's his business. My business is how do I react well, lovingly, and in alignment with myself no matter what's happening on the other side of the street. And I think people don't like their former partners for a lot of reasons, one of which is they don't like who they become when they're around their former partner. And so learning how to really control yourself in a way that matches who you are 99% of the other situations in your life really does give you exactly what you said, power and control over managing the situation better. And and your freedom and your yeah. your family's freedom and you know there's I, I've talked about this in other episodes with people but I think it's a natural progression to what you're saying here is in turning inward in focusing on yourself that's also where your growth comes from where you move into a, a, a new place a new understanding of yourself. And an ability to perhaps recognize what does work for you and, and if it comes to a relationship or a, a, anything, any changes or any new opportunities in life, you come at them from a different place when you've, when you've turned the focus inward. Absolutely. It, it's the only thing you can really work with. And it's very sad to me that we have allowed the sort of post-divorce reality to be well, of course they're fighting and of course everybody's uncomfortable and of course we can't have Christmas together. And of course there's just a, a general acceptance that this is the way it has to be. And my mission in, in this book and in my practice is we're going to change it. We're going to change the expectation that it actually does look better, but it also feels better. Because I think your friends who aren't divorced who tell you, just do, do what's best for the kids. Just just take the high road. Just, 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 if there's a just in front of it, don't listen to it because you cannot just take the high road and you cannot just do what's best for the kids. What's best for the kids anyway? Sometimes what's best for the kids is mom goes to Mexico for a week and recovers from just life. Sometimes what's best for the kids is that dad does the same. So we can't really pull on this 
truth that we think is so singular about what's best for the kids. What's best for the kids is two adults that birthed them become as exquisitely healthy as they possibly can. That's it. And sometimes that's going to mean they show up and sometimes that, that means they're going to exit the system, whatever it is. But I, I just really want people to understand there is no way through this to the destination you want without letting your partner off the hook and not letting yourself off the hook. It, it, it turns to the focus on your side of the street, as you said. Yeah. And I have to say there's a part in the book where you give that litany of well-meaning advice that you might get or comments that you might get from friends and family. And they're all true. You're going to hear them all. And mm-hmm. you you quickly eviscerate each and every one of them. So I I encourage everybody to go read that section of the book because I have to tell you, it gave me a little laugh because I'm like, yep, check that one. I heard that one. Yep, heard that one. Um, and, and they're well-meaning. They're well-meaning. Yeah, exactly. People do mean, they, they want to support us. Unfortunately, often what people think supports us really only reinforces that victim mentality as opposed to empowering us by helping us to look inward and, and make the changes for ourselves that, that help us and give us freedom. Yeah. So it's, um, it's very hard to be a divorced bystander. It's really hard because you're just, you feel just powerless. And what I tell people who are in that situation is give power and give strength and give notice, notice that they are showing up, notice that they are figuring out how to get dinner on the table and get to work and go through a divorce. Notice them. Because I think what happens right away when you get divorced and you have this two-address family and you're the only adult in your family is life demands a witness. And all of a sudden, the witness has just left. So did you really hurt your finger when you slammed it in the car if nobody's there to tell them about it, right? You just, how can you step in and just be a witness to their life, which now feels a little more invisible because there isn't another adult watching it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's probably the most powerful way. I can tell people another powerful way to help people would be to get them your book. Um, oh, because, so well, I honestly, because you, I mean, I think this, this episode has shown, these are just a few of the little kernels of truths that you um, share so beautifully in the book. And you're very eloquent in your, um, in your phrasing and in the way that you get your messages across and you support them either with um, true life stories or with research. You've actually done a great deal of research um, uh, in the, that goes into the book as well, which is very noticeable. Something that I, as a, you know, as a research junkie also <laughs> appreciated. Um, but, you know, so you feel it's a, ve- it's a very supported book in, in so many different ways. Um, and really the bottom line message is that this traditional, it's sort of the, the continuation of my message. I always say the traditional adversarial litigation route to divorce that everyone thinks is what you have to do is, it should not be the norm. It should be the last resort. And you're also right. sort of saying in the process of divorce that we all think we have to hate our ex. We have to, um, you know, have this very bifurcated household system and all of that. That's actually should just be the worst case scenario as well. And we should be looking at this as a much more positive transition. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, you, you delineate the two parts of divorce that I think people get tied up in, which are you have a logistical divorce, which is who gives who what and for how long and who gets what. But then you also have the emotional divorce. And if you do not well handle and face the emotional divorce, you will derail the logistical divorce and you will end up in these sort of unfortunate, you know, litig- litigated divorce situations. But if you can't give great attention to what it means to walk through divorce. And I don't mean just figuring out how you got here. And I, and I do think therapy is fantastic for figuring out the patterns that led you to this place. But really for you to start envisioning something different for your two address family and start marching toward that every day with the decisions you're making is a real game changer. And I think will get people to the place they want to be, which is supported, free, and powerful. Three great things to end up as at the end of this process. Um, so I, I am going to let those be the final words that we we share on the topic. But I do want people. So let's talk about a few things because we have a couple of exciting things. First, how can people find you if they wanted to work with you? Sure. My, I have a website, andreahipsdivorcecoach.com. There's two P's in hips. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, andreahipsdivorcecoach.com. I'm on there many times a week giving people guardrails. That's all I'm doing, guardrails. If you just need a daily or weekly reminder of how to do this different or better, please, please, please be a part of our community. I also send out a weekly email. You can sign up for that on my website. I would love to support you in that way. Is he- Come on, guardrails, people. Who doesn't need <laughs> guardrails? There's such great languaging around all of this. Oh, and then the book as well. So you have a, a really wonderful offer for listeners of the podcast who would like to get a copy of your book. And I encourage everyone to get a copy of the book. You're so sweet. Yes, it's it's on, it's on Amazon for $17. But for your listeners, I'm going to offer it through my website, for $10. That's going to include shipped to you. And if you want to add in there something where I can personalize it for a friend or for you, I would be more than happy to do that. Just use the code beyond in the checkout. You can get to that from my website, andrehipsdivorcecoach.com. I'll put that link in there and thank you for from my listeners uh, through me. But I do, re- I do really um, recommend if you're going through divorce or if you know someone, we just talked about a few minutes ago, how you can truly support one, someone through divorce, give them the gift of looking at this from a different perspective, because that's really what you've, you've done here. You've really flipped what everyone thinks it's supposed to be around. And as you sit here, for those who are not watching the video, you're sitting here, we were talking, you have beautiful pink on, you look happy <laughs> and joyful. I mean, I, I've t- I told you earlier, one of the most common um, feedback uh, questions or comments that I get from um, from my listeners is just that the show gives them hope because they hear w- that people have been where they are, me, you, everybody else who's been on the show almost, and they've come out on the other side better. I, I, I look yes. at my divorce as the gift to myself because the person that I was in that marriage is not the person that I am today. And I'm glad about right. that. Right. And, and I think there's so much anecdotal support about, around divorce. It's just, well, try this, try this. This is what I did. This is what worked for me. And I want to say that what's in this book 
is working across the board for people. This is not, oh, try this because I have this very special, unique set of circumstances where it worked. This has been road tested in my clients. They are seeing just as much movement as I did in different areas of their lives. So join us. It's a it's a revolution. We can do this. And um, let's just make something different, you know? It, because different is better in this case. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining me and and for just this wonderful conversation. Um, I've learned some new things, just as I did in the book, in this conversation. And I... Um, I'm going to start adding a little um, gratitude for people who perhaps are not at the top of my list because I would love to be able to look (laughs) at the world in that way and change that. And I think that's something that we can do with every, maybe every negative circumstance that comes through. There's there's something to be grateful for. (laughs) So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Susan. This was just such a total delight. I'm so grateful to have been here. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.